two, one. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to a One World, One Blood Bowl, episode 11. Uh, I'm thrilled that we've, first of all, got this far, uh, well into double figures now. Uh, but also I'm thrilled to have with me uh, three lovely coaches. Uh, one we've met before, uh, directly above me, uh, although weirdly, obviously a long way below me uh, down in Australia. So up in the middle of the summer, uh, we have G'day Nick joining us again. So welcome back, Nick. Lovely to have you here. Uh, to my side, we have the uh, the Darth Vidius to my, uh, to my Darth Vader, the, the Sith Emperor Lord of all evil blood bold himself. Uh, Pete W, who I'm thrilled to have on the show, uh, he is responsible. It's it's down to him. Uh, he is the the alpha the, from Oob, the the Dracula, the the groundswell of so much in Blood Bowl at the moment. And then directly above him, uh, I'm pleased he's bought a camera. He's agreed to appear in front of us all. Uh, Blood Bowl's Ben Stiller. Uh, we have Crystal Hunter joining us on One World One Blood Bowl. And in honour of that, I wanted to do a show uh, where we talk a bit more about Blood Bowl on the pitch, uh, because I want One World, One Blood Bowl to not stay in any rut, but to leap around the whole world of Blood Bowl, bringing in people from all over Blood Bowl and talking about all aspects of Blood Bowl. So in honour of having particularly, obviously, the lovely Crystal with us, uh, and I'm sure we're all, as I am, just awestruck by his beauty, um, then I wanted to talk about <laughs> the beauty also of his play. Uh, as he is fond of saying himself, the reason people love him is he shows us the plays that other people do not show him. So tonight on One World, One Blood Bowl, we're going to talk about aggressive blood bowl. Are people that play it crazy? Can it work? Uh, is the mantra, the, the overriding meta of do the safe stuff first, make sure you don't make the mistakes, make the other guy roll the dice, and you will profit. Is it right? Is it the only way to play? Now, that's what I wanted to throw out in front of us all this evening, but I want to say hello to everyone first, and then we will circle straight back around to that, whilst I'm sure we will touch on it along the way. Uh, so first of all, we had some other news going on in Blood Bowl at the moment. Uh, today we had the draw for the latest chalice in Blood Bowl 2. Uh, Fumble continues to offer you know, the Blood Bowl 2020 rules, playing fantasy football all around the place. The tabletop scene is really getting lively uh, all over the world. There's tabletop happening all over the place, and that's fantastic to see. But also the Blitz Pit has returned, uh, which we all heard uh, was a format that plays on Blood Bowl 2, for those of you who don't know. Uh, we all heard it was going to sort of cease to be, maybe, until Blood Bowl 3 came out. Um, but but none of us may live that long. Um, none of us may live to the end of the week with what's happening in the Ukraine. But none of us may live to see Blood Bowl 3 come out in a form where a Blitz Pit can run on it. So Blitz Pit's back, baby, back. So let's start by saying, hello, Nick. Tell us about Blitz Pit. And tell us why you wanted to come on a One World, One Blood Bowl and talk about aggressive blood bowl. Uh, howdy, everyone. Um, wow, Bliss was back. Um, it just, uh, it, you know, uh, Blood Bowl is one of those games that it kind of always sticks with you and your uh, passion for the game goes uh, up, up, up and down. You might have a session where you play lots and lots and <laughs> or maybe a period where you play only a little. Um but uh, I guess my interest in Blood Bowl is, is peaking a little bit at the moment recently and really keen to run uh, Blitzbit again and also have, um, have it in a new format, a Teams tournament, which hasn't been uh, done before in Blitzbit, um, which has been, able, I, it's been able to bring like a lot of, lot of people in. We've got uh, 
bit over 20 teams coming in uh, to play uh, for the well, 1200 US dollars, which has been funded by the amazing support of the um, of the community. I'm always amazed by how much support uh, Blitzpit gets. Um, love running it. Good fun. And I wanted to come on today because I think a lot of people don't assess risk properly in Blood Bowl. Okay. Um, and maybe I might say something insightful when I keep rambling long enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, just one thing I want to pick up on there, because I, I do want to get on, on to talking about Blood Bowl on the pitch. And I want to spend a lot of time on that this episode. But I don't want to massively overrun as we have done every single other episode so far. Um, you did talk about the Blitz Pit cash prize. Mm. In your heart, do you think that's what brings the punters to the Blitz Pit? Or do you think it's the thrill of the competition? And are you are you comfortable with that money involvement? Um, it definitely does bring some people. Um, although, if if that was if if Blitzpit was a lousy competition and not fun to you know to be experience watch, it wouldn't have got um, such a prize pool to begin with. I started. The first blitz pit I ran, I uh, had like 75 bucks, which I'd saved up over the, you know, <laughs> I'd put away. And lots of people wanted to watch. Um, we, we made sure, like one of the main uh, things of blitz pit is that I made sure it was like a fun community event, which people could watch all the games. They're all streamed. Um, all, all having a good time with that. And it's just, uh, I mean, gone from strength to strength. Uh, I think it adds an element of fun and stakes to the game. Um, and the fact that it's there from community support, mainly by people who don't actually play in it, but love watching it. Um, yeah, bring... I think it brings. I think it brings brings something to the table. I mean, it certainly adds to the tension. I mean, one minute turns, you know, the relentless ticking down of the timer. It's played on the VB two client. For those that don't understand, it's uh, it's played all in one go uh, over a weekend. So um, next week, this time it, the uniqueness added this time, and each time it's come out, it's been a little bit different, hasn't it? Mostly different rule packs or different ways of getting in different builds. Uh, sometimes giving mutations to every team, for example. This time, teams are entering as teams of three coaches. Uh, there's a qualifying round next weekend. Uh, I'm sure that'll be all over Twitch um, on the... Is it the Saturday or the Sunday that those teams play? Uh, the Saturday at 2 p.m. UTC, okay. <laughs> I believe. I'm running um, it. I should know. But uh, <laughs> 2 p.m. UTC. And there there's on, 10 uh, teams competing for the five remaining spaces in the 16-team finals, which will be two weeks after that? Uh, yes, the 19th and 20th of March over... Well, they'll be over a, a good part of the weekend having the double elimination tournament within teams of three. It's, it's going to be a be lot of Blood Bowl played. And I'm going to have to get very creative with how it is streamed. But so, I've got some ideas. Yeah, that's, we'll um, see. And I will see how it works. The Saturday so lunchtime will see a lot of Blood Bowl played all at the same time, won't it? That's for sure. Uh, by Saturday evening, uh, four of the teams will have left. By Sunday, uh, we'll be down to even less. 
and then eventually one team will be crowned the Blitzpit champions uh, for the team first ever team Blitzpit. Um, yes. Sounds exciting. Uh, let's say hello to some other people because I want to bring everyone else in on this. Hello, Pete. You've been waiting patiently for us. Happy Sunday to you. Hello, Purple Jester. It's uh, good to see you. Good to be here. Um, I should explain uh, why I introduced you as the Darth Sidious of my Blood Bowl. <laughs> um, it, it's, it's all your fault, isn't it? Yeah, it's your fault that you, you're uh, this involved, I guess, and that we've actually got to see your face across the Blood Bowl table. So I was just a, a harmless, helpless little table a little online player that only ever played on fumble i just used to sit in the chair playing blood bowl and this this man this this force uh, tempted me out to the uktc in a team of, uh, which was team fantastic the year after jimmy put together the famous team where he lied to everybody um and that was my first experience of playing blood bowl that wasn't in fumble and from there i've spread to blood bowl 2 to podcasting to to the virus-like force within Blood Bowl uh, that I am today. Where look, I'm even wearing a branded T-shirt. Um, I do hope that your uh, your wife doesn't have a little voodoo doll of me. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember explaining to her that I was going to disappear up to York uh, with a man I'd met on the internet, and we were going to stay at a convent for a weekend. Um, which is is genuinely what happened, doesn't it? You, <laughs> yep. Yes. The convent was good lodgings. You took me away and played with me for the first time. With two other men you'd never met. With two other men I'd never met. Um, and from there, you know, that's how my tabletop career started. Um, have you have you tempted many others? Is this a, a Fagin-like existence of yours? Uh, yes, I'm, I'm also very proud to say I'm responsible for Purple Goo playing uh, in real life. So uh, it's, uh, he's another one, another one of mine. Um, uh, Endzone, Malmere, um, dragged them out, um, a few others. Um, I think I'm responsible for bringing K-Fogged to the UK. Um, dragged him over from um, Denmark to take part in the Blood Bowl at game Warhammer World, as was then, and he liked England so much he decided to move here. Uh, I even managed to get Krista and Angie uh, over for the uh, Blood Bowl as well, which was great. And you've you've captained England at NAF level. Um, have you been NAF president yet? That seems to be handed around the England team. No, I've not had a NAF role. Um, I've actually been England captain for three years now, having Euro Bowl cancelled twice in a row. So I'm, I'm hoping that this year is the year. Ah, so Malta is your, your Waterloo, or hopefully not. <laughs> hopefully not. Um, do, do, will the, do, do the viewers know about Euro Bowl? Uh, we did an entire episode on the Euro Bowl uh, rules course, where we revealed them. So we, we've chatted about them. But yes, that's the big NAF tabletop event that's coming up this um, autumn, isn't it? It's November now, yeah. so we've had the final dates, final location, and the final rules. So it's very much exciting planning for planning for that. Now I've got a little bit of a surprise for you. Um, when putting together this episode, I uh, I did have a chat uh, in the private members area of my Discord uh, with Purple Goo, uh, lovely fella, and uh, he. Um, I asked basically if we had a, an English equivalent. I don't know if you remember, I wrote an article on, on sort of aggressive, trying to be lucky blood bowl. Um, and I named Italian coach Spartaco as to me an example of someone who has a very highly a kinetic, uh, somewhat aggressive style of blood bowl on tabletop, but is incredibly successful with it. And I asked if there was an English equivalent. Uh, and Phil replied, um, I know what you mean. I don't know that reference. I don't know if there's a top-end Team England type that goes full speed. If anything, you could argue that's to our benefit. 
And then when talking specifically, if there was an English Spartaco equivalent, he said, I'm not sure we have an equivalent. I mean, we're all naturally a bit more passive. You might be better off with a US online coach. Jim and Pete are probably our two most willing to roll some dice. <laughs> so that's the accusation from Phil is that of, and that's, that's why I, I invited you on this evening, that of the NAF Team England highly successful uh, Blood Bowl tabletop players, you're the one that might like to occasionally roll some dice. Is that fair? I, I do like to roll some dice. I think it's something that Nick said earlier. It's all about risk assessment. Uh, it's uh, what's the risk? What are the consequences if it goes wrong? Uh, but then what are the benefits if it goes right? And it's it's those decisions that, that make uh, the difference between a good coach and an excellent coach. Okay, so there is a time, I mean, within, obviously, we're not saying from, from turn one, roll all the dice and see what the hell happens. You know, there's a ball over there, let's go get it. Sometimes. So I played um, a delightful little tournament called the Cam Dub, where you're only allowed to take double skills on your players. And I played an opponent who was using dwarves, which team very close to your own heart. And obviously with dwarves, you want to take normals, primaries, um, guard, like bloke, boring things like that. He decided to take um, leap on a troll slayer. I'm going to let and boring things go for now. Just okay. <laughs> for now. So turn one, he leaps. At me, it, it's it's a it's a four up. This is old rules. Um, it's four up, and he made it. And for the rest of the game, I was paranoid that at any moment this troll slayer could leap at me. Um, so he did it turn one. And so there is a place for aggression turn one because you can psychologically get in your opponent's head. What a lovely it's way! Not always the best thing. Okay, so I mean, I want to introduce Crystal and get all four of us into this. So um, thank you for that. Let me just pause you for there, Pete, and let me just as I move on say so. Um, people talk a lot about, you know, raging against the dice, raging against Blood Bowl. Um, if you have a mental image that you sort of, you know, when things go wrong, mine is Pete W. Um, that's, that's who I one day might. Um, Crystal, welcome to having a camera and to One World, One Blood Bowl. Yeah, uh, and to everyone knowing that Adam Sandler has a twin or that his, <laughs> his father had a European adventure some time ago. Uh, you're, you're making me blush, BC. Like it's uh, it's it's getting close to that now. Come on now. Right? Are you just a mad bastard, or can aggressive blood bowl work? Um, it's it's a little bit of both, I guess. In a, in in an extent, um, in a way, I feel like it's it's all about um, having control. Like I I I I don't like my opponents <coughs> having control on the pitch. Like if I play a passive game, I'm I'm usually quite a, afraid that. My opponent can basically position in any any position they want. They can actually catch up in any position they want and get into the direction they want to go to. And with me cutting off corners, um, basing at the, at the smart positions that we want to base, sure, I'm rolling some extra dice maybe. I'm locking him in with those extra dice. But he's going to have to get throw extra dice to get out of it. If I fill my dice during a defensive drive, I might lose the drive. But, you know, it's my defensive drive. If he's failing his dice, he's going to get turned over or maybe scored against. And then suddenly I have my offensive drive and I can make it 2-0 and end the game. Um, it's it's all about control in the end, I think. And uh, yeah, it, it has a lot to do with momentum as well. Okay, so control and momentum, those are definitely two terms I, I want to come back to when it comes to what we're talking about with aggression. But, but let's start right there. When I, I've said aggressive blood bowl. Is that fair of me? Is that the right way to characterise how you feel you play? 
Yeah, at, in, in one way, but at the same time, I think people have the wrong image on it. Like people always think about, um, when, they, when they think about aggressive blood ball, they think, think about like the five plus cage dive into the to the uphill on the ball. For me, that's not, not the case. For me, the five plus dodge cage dive into the uphill on the ball is, is the last resort thing I do, just like any other coach. But I, I want to make sure that I generate enough pressure during the turns before that to make sure I get other opportunities, like having like a simple three plus dodge to actually get a two dice on the ball or something like that, which will eventually happen if my opponent's players are stuck. And with stuck, I mean like they have, they're forced to, to hit something or they're, they're forced to do something else. I want to get them into, into that position where they're forced to roll a pattern of dice, just like in chess, they're forced to do a certain move and the king is, is, is on check, for example. Maybe there's only one move to get out of it. I want to have that same position for some opponents. Well, it's, it's more for you being in the driver's seat. Is hmm. that is that why you? Yeah, yeah. It, yeah, it makes yeah. it makes the opponent uncomfortable as well, just like PW said as well. And it's a, it's a psychological aspect of them, you know, um, worrying about the whole drive the whole time. And, and there's also an element of maybe maybe close to fear towards you know what might happen during the next turn, and. Um, that's, that aspect is definitely there as well, but mm. I, I I do feel like also like positionally, of course, like when you play this kind of game, you can't you can't mess up, mess up. You you gotta you gotta make sure that you base in the right position where you generate that pressure and all that. So it's not a it's not an easy thing. It's not like this is easier said than done. I think this is easier said than done. And, um, Okay, yeah, so I mean, and so far none of the three of you have have resisted this this label that you are aggressive BB coaches. You're quite happy with that. You don't see that as a a besmirching of your ability or a a lesser skill than perhaps the people that are more passive or control based or secure in how they play. Is that fair? Well, the only, if I may say so, like the only thing I genuinely get annoyed by is um, we had last week we had um, uh, one of your lovely guests uh, coming in. Um, I think it was number. Who said like, well, I've gotten better at blood ball, and it's because like there is um, a, 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 a whole thing about like, well, you have to score on turn eight. So I I'm knew you would go to turn to eight. Turn eight. <laughs> and you can't like this is the thing like this is fine when you're a dwarf coach when you can generate like well control on the pitch and you can just get removals when you're on the, on offense. But if you're like a coach that is playing Skaven. You're playing like you're losing a lot of players during your offensive drive, for example, and you got to think about other ways than scoring on turn eight. Like I, this whole scoring on turn eight thing is an idealist thing, and the people are thinking in idealist plans just to just to get that whole just to get to to understand blobble. And I think like nothing on blobble, nothing on the blobble pitch is is happening in an idealistic way. There's always something that 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 goes wrong on the pitch, and you got to react to that. And you've got to adjust your plan. Yeah, Pete, the, the last episode, we were talking about um, getting good at Blood Bowl. How do we do that? How do we make the move from competent and understanding what we're doing to try to feel that we're actually, you know, we have agency. We're, we're good at this game we play. However we define what good is, and we talked about that a bit. Has Crystal got a point that this, this obsession with turn eight is actually a limiter, not... I mean, there's a point at which there's a benefit to saying try and, you know, control the pace of your drive control the clock, score when they can't score back. But do we over-obsess about it? Does it become limiting? What do you think? Uh, yeah, def definitely. Yeah. If, if something, is, as, it, as he says, if something goes wrong and you've, you're scrabbling a bit, 
then if you're going to have to roll uh, you know, eight or nine dice to make your position safe, and actually maybe just put it in and then work on the defense, and then the worst case is a draw rather than if, you're, if, you, if you can't stall effectively and the ball goes and then they end up scoring, that's, that's much worse. So yeah. I think one of something that some people may do is sort of push forward too soon and then they're forced to score earlier than they want to. And that might have been what sort of Tom was intimating last week, I'd imagine. Um, but yeah, something that I've noticed is the change of rule set. So the, the BB2020 rule set. Um, one of the key things that you can do, um, and you can look forward to this Blood Bowl 2 players, is you can use uh, multiple rerolls in a turn. And that's changed things. So yeah. for some players who are maybe mindlessly aggressive, their rerolls might be gone by turn two. Uh, they've had lots of fun, they've re-rolled their pushbacks multiple times in a turn and all the re-rolls are gone. Um, but actually, if you're um, playing calculated aggression, this means that at the right time, you can make your move. And if you need to use one re-roll early on, you know that you've still got the insurance of multiple more re-rolls if you need them later on. So you can keep pushing. So you can actually be more aggressive and get away with more. And I think some players haven't quite realised that yet. They're sort of stuck in the... I've only got one reroll to use in this turn, and once it's gone, that's it. Not anymore. So you can win more. There's more to be got. Does that also mean we're going to look, do you think, towards more rerolls as the matter? I think so. There are some teams, say like humans, where you know we might have taken three rerolls and 14 players and an apo in the past. Actually, maybe drop a couple of players, take a couple of extra rerolls, which means that you can make these aggressive plays and get more from them. Um, I have actually built a Skaven team in Fumble and I've actually started with four rerolls. I, I dropped some positionals there just to get a fourth reroll. And what I've noticed is like, especially versus like coaches that have a low amount of rerolls. So if they only have like two rerolls, I could play in a very like, as PW says, like a very calculated, aggressive manner where I find the right moment where I can cut in. And if I like, for example, raise two rerolls on that action, and my opponent has to raise two rerolls to fix that. I still have two rerolls. He has zero for the rest of the drive. And that's the whole thing as well. Like, you know, like, I don't think, I think people are underestimating that, that multiple reroll per, per turn rule. And I think we're going to see like a, a lot of shifts in the, so to speak, meta that we, um, that we, that we have with it. Hmm. And I think it's, it's another way of calculating, um, risk reward. So, so a fun thing to do is to put a, a blodger next to a unskilled Saurus or, or Blackhawk or Biggin. Um, because they're thinking, okay, well, they, they can block you and it's one in nine they go down and maybe one in three you go down. So, you know, that's, that's not a good thing to do. But actually, the other risk is that they hit the one in nine and lose a reroll. Or yeah. um, it, it, it slows their play down. Yeah, I mean, I talk a lot about, about selective basing, about, as you said, looking for opportunities where you're giving them hits, but the hits are less in their favour than they think they are. Um, and it's about reroll denial, about sucking those rerolls away. Where's that difference between uh, that sort of passive aggressive strategy, trying to, uh, I, mean, I try and sometimes use the tennis analogy of a, of a, a forced error rather than an unforced error. You know, you, you force them, as you say, to roll that one in nine hit because it's tempting, it's going to help their position, but they've one in nine it, throw a reroll in, and then they've got the knockdown. But it's it's meant that their reroll pile is less. So where's the difference between that kind of aggressive, passive aggressiveness 
and just overbasing and overhitting, don't they look incredibly similar? Uh, let me just yeah. define the term because I know we're going into a, an esoteric area here. Overhitting is where a team, instead of actually controlling the space, protecting their ball or making sure they're putting pressure on the ball, gets into that passion of knocking everybody over uh, because it's a fun thing to do and it can generate SPP. And actually, sometimes you'll take 10 hits in a turn when seven but three players moving would have completely decimated the opponent's position and meant that you won the game. Whereas actually what you've done is just knock some people over and that isn't quite the same. Um, so how do you respond to that? Where's the difference between these two concepts? Um, yeah, so it's, it's key. It's, it's about working out what the consequences are. So sometimes it's, it's appropriate to go all in, to chase the ball, to go for the ball carrier. Um, but you've got to make sure that you've got the ability to sort of scramble back or to keep some players back. Um, and if you haven't, you've got to be pretty sure that it's going to work. Um, so it's those sort of those sort of situations. I've got an example if you're interested. Yeah, good. Okay, so this is a game. Um, so obviously with the Euro Bowl um, fresh in our minds, the German team challenged the English team for a, a warm-up friendly. Um, obviously, England Germany is anything but friendly. Um, but uh, I was. Uh, uh, Delighted to be drawn against my very, very good, very old friend, um, Candlejack. Oh, we played lovely. last night. Yeah, lovely guy. So, uh, Christian and I played last night, my dark elves versus his humans. Uh, good matchup. I was very pleased. That's a good, uh, good training, training battle. Um, I was very fortunate enough to get quite lucky in my drive, so I finished the half at 1 0. Um, he did very well on his one turn touchdown, but snaked the go for it into the end zone. Obviously, I was devastated. Shocking, him. horrible. Um, so we so we joined the game. Did you type After, sorry? Uh, I might have typed lol. <laughs> yeah. Hard not to. Yep. Um, so I'll share my screen, mm -hmm. and you'll join us. I should be able to pull this up for everyone to see. Yes, that should work. That? Can you see my my screen? There we go. Uh, that should be visible to people now. So you join us in the halfway through the second half. Um, I'm doing the classic elf sort of dropping the screen back to slow his advance. Um, and it, but every single turn, I'm thinking, when do I be aggressive? When do I be aggressive? Uh, it's turn um, four of the second half. Uh, I will drop a link to this replay because the replay is available if you're on Fumble uh, and the podcast version of this, as well as on the YouTubes and the Twitch version. Uh, but apologies on the podcast. I'll try and describe what I can. We're facing a red team who is just over the halfway line, uh, pushing forward with their humans uh, against a dark elf team that's about three or four spaces back from the line of scrimmage. Uh, and with a nice screen all the way across the field. Go ahead, Pete. Super. So I'm, I'm always thinking, when, when do I want to go in? When do I want to go in? Um, or do I? Because with the current rules, with um, the ability to jump over prone players, mm -hmm. it's, it becomes a lot harder to effectively screen off. Um, that might be a good topic for another, uh, another episode. Um, but this is the, the decision I made on this move. Because the, the, the cage is light, he's carrying with a catcher, so strength two, um, he hasn't got guard on the corner, he's got a halfling, so I think this is the time to go in. So you can see my witch, witch marks. But what I'm doing here, you can see the other players, they're still back. So even if the blitz goes wrong, I think I'll probably be okay. He might push south, but I'm, I'm elves, I'll be alright. For those that don't understand the fumble client, what we've just seen is a witch running around the side of the, the human screen, their big guy, uh, marking up the halfling that was the back corner of the cage and then a blodge Dark Elf Blitzer dodging in on a 4+, which of course is only a 1 in 4 fail if you've got dodge and you're not facing tackle, to then have two dice on the ball. Yeah, so I get very lucky. 
Um, I, I get them both down. Uh, he catches the ball, and I then get two <laughs> base hits to make myself safe. Um, I can't make it perfectly safe, but with a few dodges and go for it, um, and a reroll that goes, um, I can get them to safe. Now Christian does a does a good play, um, gets a lucky knockout, but that's irrelevant. Uh, moves the witch, so he's freeing up with a guard assist, two dice on the ball. Yeah, nice. Gets the straight power he needs on the blodger. Um, after my luck, I'm not going to complain about that. Um, sorts his players out and then sends his thrower, block thrower, back in to pick up the ball. So he's, he's made it safe again. But then also his players are sort of stretched across the front of the pitch here. So um, even though I disrupted his offence, he's actually still got options for sort of a handoff, um, run up here. Um, and if I go all in, then I'm making it even easier for him. So this is my decision here. I thought about this for a while. Uh, he threatened to tie me out. We have a laugh. It's great. Um, and I'm thinking, if I'm going for the ball here, it's not easy because he's got a guard in front. Um, if I go straight in the front, it's half dice. So I've got to come around the back. Um, I've got a difficult decision to make. And if I put all my resources into going for the ball, then it might be a risk. So this is the kind of situation where Purple Goo would probably think, Oh, it was worth a shot, but let's pull back now and get back in the screen. Yep. Um, I thought, let's be aggressive, let's have some fun. So let's see what happens. Yeah, you've got him on the ropes here, so... I have got him on the ropes, but even with... If something goes wrong, at this point I've decided to blitz. So this mm. lodge blitzer here is going to come in and blitz him. But again, I've got to go around the back to get two dice. But if it goes wrong... He can push the runner, um, blitz the, the blitzer off, maybe even with the ball carrier, and he's through and gone. And it's, there's, there's not much I can do. Yes, there is that exactly where you've, you've left the mouse uh, between the blitzer and the ogre. There is a huge chunk of space he can get to down there. So you are definitely taking that risk. It's interesting that Crystal is already on your side, uh, seeing the play, <laughs> talking about that ability to push onto it. Uh, I'm I'm with Phil. I'm with Purple Goo, uh, and you you know what he would have done there. So um, as as Pete was describing it for those listening on the podcast, that's pretty much what happened. He marked up the front of the cage. Uh, he, he tied up the pieces that were around the ball carrier, and then he went aggressively into the rear of the cage with his witch, uh, allowing him to get the two die on the ball. Uh, but he did overcommit to the point where there was a, a serious little pocket and hole that the humans could have got away to had it failed. Uh, Crystal is nodding along uh, and clearly enjoying and loving that. Well, uh, like this is this is this is an example of uh, a little bit of a momentum example. What I was talking about, like as soon as the first dive came in, okay, Pete, we can we can kill that off. Now, he had to back off, and as as soon as you notice that, like he's starting to lose momentum there, and he, you you kind of have to jump on him again to make sure in this position. The opponent really can't get to the ball, can he? Like he has a lot of difficulty actually to get to the ball and try to recover this again. Um, I think like if you have this this kind of position, you just gotta have to move forward because you know you're about to win the game here. But you've also, I mean, at that point, I, I I really agree with that first attack. I thought that was the the perfect moment to go in. I'm sure Nick would agree. You know, you do have a bit of elf play that, that coming in off that halfling on the rear corner of that cage. I think everyone's gonna love that one in four fail, get some pressure on. Still have plenty of elves up in front of that advance if it didn't work. The second phase is really interesting, isn't it? That, that development of do we keep going for it? And I think that's what we're, we're looking at primarily here. The aggression in that first phase, it was aggressive play, but it's the kind of play I think most high-level players would try and do. 
would be looking to do. Yeah, the second phase, noise. you've created some disruption. You've, you've stopped their momentum. You've arrested their drive forwards. Isn't that the time to seize the space and control it? Or do we is pushing onwards a more logical next move? And how do we help people listening to this decide which of those is going to be the successful choice? I think like you, you've got to you've got to cut the move up a little bit and see what uh, what happens in which parts he achieves. Well, like which part he achieves, um, like which part in success state he achieves, and which part like what if he feels what what damage does to do um like if he if he sacks the ball at that point like if he manages to sack the ball here like even if he feels picking up the ball afterwards he's still gonna have the ball on the ground and he's still gonna have like a lot of dark elves surrounding that ball so like you gotta you gotta look at the first initial step i don't think the first initial step was like extreme like i've seen extremer stuff on uh... <laughs> on, on your on stream the... fairly regularly um... yeah but you know like yeah you, you gotta you gotta you got to look you, you got to cut that apart and as soon as you say like well i have a really good position after i sack the ball here like you could actually go for the pickup as well but you could also just say like okay from that point onwards i could go i, I could go position around the ball and be happy with the position i'm in both are both are explainable and, and both coaches will find something in that as well so like you know you can even cut up the whole turn as it is were you, were you doing be, that Pete? were you how soon within that turn did you feel completely committed to that entire sequence? Or did you have fallbacks at various positions within it to, to drop out if it looked like the plan was going bad? Or... It was interesting. I had, I had say, three plans. One was fallback, keep it safe. Um, one was go and sack the ball. But the third option was um, to actually hit the guard blitzer at the front, um, send the sneaky git in to foul him, and basically just essentially cage the thrower with my own players, um, which was actually what I started off doing. But then once I'd marked all his players, I then just changed my mind and said, actually, no, I'm going to go for the ball. Um, I'm still not sure whether it was the right decision. I think this is one of the, it was an interesting moment because I was 50-50, uh, not sure what to do. And part of that difficulty lay in the fact that it wasn't a single game it was part of a team game, mm. which does change the dynamic massively. Um, well, as we're on that, let's talk exactly about that. Um, is aggression in a team environment even less appropriate? Definitely, definitely. And this is this is sort of a lot of behind Phil's comment. Um, England has been more successful than any other nation at the Euro Bowl. And it's largely because um, a lot of the players are very comfortable with draws. So playing a very passive game getting safe draws, which I wouldn't do if it was a singles tournament. So you go to the NAF Championships, you've got 300 people there. If you've not won five games, you're not in the final. So every single game, you've got to take the risks, you've got to push for the wins, because draws just aren't good enough. But in a team event, if everyone's doing that, if everyone's pushing for the win and it goes wrong, you lose rounds. Um, whereas if people are keeping the safe draws, and you just get maybe one or two wins. I think in, in Wales, we had one round where we had one win and seven draws. What a beautiful team victory. <laughs> Only the English could enjoy that. <laughs> um, so that's why I, 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 really I coach dwarves and I'm dying a little inside hearing that. <laughs> and that's why I really paused here. If this was a, a singles game, yeah. I'd have gone in. Just because it's, it's more fun um, and I like to win. I don't like the, to, to give my opponent the control to basically decide it's going to be a draw. 
Um, but uh, but I'm the captain, so I win. I mean, I, I feel I can be that I'm, I'm mostly about control. I'm mostly about positional play and knowing the maths and trying to do that. But I do feel I can be creative and be aggressive when the situation calls for it. It, it sounds to me what you're saying, Pete, is that you think ag aggressive blood bowl is something you slip on like a jumper. Uh, it's a it's a choice. It's um. Whereas if we cut crystal in half, it says aggressive blood bowl. That's 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 through him like a stick of rock. Um, crystal, is that fair of me, or am I overcharacterizing? Mm, I, I have my I have my I have my moments where I take a conservative route as well. It just depends on on for me. It just really depends on. I I I, I usually define things as either like a necessity. Sometimes it's necessary to be aggressive, or you simply lose the game. Um, otherwise, um, it can be opportunistic, or you know you have the conservative line that you know you got to just play careful and just play it out. Like there's 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 a there's a difference between like being necessary aggressive and being opportunistic aggressive sometimes. And if if the opportunistic aggressive part is too aggressive in a way, if it requires too much dice, maybe you just gotta just gotta play the conservative line. So like I. I you know, I have my conservative roots as well, but mm. you gotta, you gotta understand again what Pete just said. Like you gotta understand that what you're doing has some consequences as well, but also some positive consequences as well when you succeed something. Is it and fair I, to say I, you feel you look for the aggressive option first? Usually, I, I, I usually look for opportunity uh, opportunities in general because, like, the opportunities are the ones, in my opinion, that could massively change the outcome on the field. Um, Pete, is that, think, is that fair and is that what you do? Are you are constantly seeing all these wonderful aggressive opportunities and then ruling them out and doing something safe? No, no, not, 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 not at all, actually. So there's, there's a difference. So aggression isn't just marking up. Um, if, you're, if you're sort of playing passively and you step back, you're not giving your opponent many decisions to make. You're not mm. giving him a problem to solve. You're making his life very simple. Um, he'll probably, you know, choose a route, pick off, pick off a target, blitz them. Um, if you're basing up, if you're playing aggressively, you're increasing the decision space. You're giving your opponent um, a lot more options. And if you get it wrong against a good coach, they will move your players around, put you out of position, run through, and that the drive's over. But so what you want to be doing when you're playing aggressively is you want to be um, increasing the decision space, but in such a way that all the choices are bad choices. That they've got to think, okay, what's the what's the least worst option here? What how, how can I solve this puzzle? Um, one of the one of the best people I've played up against that is a French guy called Shark Rudy. Um, I was playing in the Dark Elves, and it seemed that every single turn he was playing very aggressively. I mean, he's got the strength. Every single turn, I was thinking, oh, I don't know what to do. This is awful. What a mess. And there's about a, a thousand different options, and they were all bad. And I just had to find the least bad one. Uh, I would mm. even go a step further. Like he could even make the right decision, and if by outcome, like if if mm. if I would base up in a way, in a in a certain way where there's a lot of pressure, if by outcome he would roll a push instead of a bow somewhere, and that has a lot of of influence on the pitch already. Like I would love to take that chance. Some coaches don't. Some coaches don't like that 55%. Like I usually do it with block, like the 55% chance of getting your player down versus the 45% chance of staying up and being able to do something on the pitch that could, you know, either a smart chain push or something that could get you on the ball. Um, 
I think that's the, that's in there as well. So even if they're making the correct decision, sometimes you could definitely still do something with aggressive blood ball. And and I've, I I miss that with the whole passive play where you give a lot of space to people because as soon as you give a lot of space to people, again, like there's an easy decision making, but there's also a lot of room for the uh, a player for 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 a coach to actually mobilize their ball and and, and move their ball in the way they want to. And yeah, I don't want that. It's, it's one of the things I when I'm coaching continuously talk about is as well as what problems have you solved? What problems have you set for your opponent? What, what decisions are you making him take? Um, how much is he having to think about before he does what he wants in his turn? Uh, because the more you can stack that pressure on, the more chance of, of that, that forced error uh, where, where something happens that you can try and take advantage of. Um, Nick, is the, how much context is dependent on this? Uh, you famously play mostly Australians uh, and sleepy Americans. Is it? I prefer my Americans if they've had a couple of beers to drink. Yeah, well. yeah, yeah. Which you know, picking yeah. the right time of day would help with. Um, is it easier to be aggressive with people like that that really don't know what they're doing, um, or is it? I mean, now that you've played a bit more in the European time zones, are you finding it harder to be aggressive? Is is context part of our decision as to whether to be aggressive? Well, it, it is, it's hugely important, and uh, context is context is key. Uh, you can't go into a game saying I will play 100% of my turns safe or 100% of my turns uh, aggressively um, otherwise you're going to have a lot of problems uh, one thing that I one example that I'd like to bring up we've been talking a lot about defense right playing defense aggressively uh, one thing that I think a, some players you know fall out of a trap is, is playing their own offense aggressively um, I play uh, one example which I want to bring up here is uh, I played against a coach who'd just come out of a bunch of uh, kind of rookie leagues. They just kind of got into the game, but they were smashing it. They had been dominating their rookie leagues. They'd been uh, making mincemeat of everyone. They'd start playing in some lower divisions of some tiered leagues, crushing it, doing a great job. And I, I had a a clan game scheduled against them, and I thought, oh, well, this this will be this will be an interesting game up against a you know, new up and coming sort of coach. Yeah, for those that don't uh, know, clan team. is a very long lived league running the Blood Bowl two system mm. uh, with teams that and, compete against other teams, but they are um, not resurrection; they are perpetual. Mm. So I had, a, I had a game scheduled against them, and he was on undead, and I was on wood elves. So I, you know, I'm ready to make some aggressive plays and stuff. Uh, but I thought, you know, let's let's test the waters. He stabilized pretty quickly at the halfway line, and so I thought, let's see what he let's see what he does. I, you know, I hadn't really seen him play. I just knew he'd been crashing it a bit, and he didn't really do anything. Um, he just kind of muddled around the halfway line, not wanting to give me any, you know, good, you know, good leap sacks or anything around, and so I just kind of stood there on the halfway line, and then it got to turn seven. And you could see the cogs tearing when he was kind of clicking on his pieces, as you can see in the bubble too client. And he hadn't really claimed any space. And I think he'd maybe developed some habits because he'd played against a lot of, he'd been playing a lot of his blood ball against rookie coaches, people a bit newer to the game. And he obviously had a great intuition for the game. And so when he saw his opponent making mistakes, he was able to just go, oh, look, there's a mistake. I claim this pitch space. You know, I win the game off your uh, unforced errors sort of thing. But I think when you're playing uh, against a, comp a very competent coach, um, 
you've got to be aggressive in claiming your space <laughs> as well on offense. I'm, you, I'm going to keep forcing my tennis analogies. Um, you can be a baseline hitter, but if you're always a baseline hitter, sometimes you've got to serve and volley. You've got to mix it up. You've got to be able to put some pressure on and not just wait for the error sometimes. Is that... Yeah, like, yeah, if all my wood don't die, they're just going to be standing in the way, which sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But um, I think a really good sort of thought is um, offense or defense, you've kind of got to have a big plan for the for the drive. Like, maybe it is scoring on turn eight. Maybe it is trying to get a, a pressure sack on at some point. But you kind of got to think on how this turn will play into the rest of the turns. Because it's it's very it's very easy to see a turn in isolation, and go, and I think a lot of coaches who played a bit of bubble can make an assessment very easily as to yeah I kind of liked how that turn was played or I kind of didn't. Um, I found it very difficult actually. Uh, the example that Pete gave, I I was very fifty fifty. I would have said, I think I could have on that on that other turn. I, you know. Kendra Jack might have timed me out because he's not as good friends with me because he doesn't know me. <laughs> um, but I, I would have sat there for a long time. I, I think you've got to... Like, when you're playing against someone who's, uh, you know, around the same level or maybe stronger than yourself uh, as a coach, you've got to take more risks. Now, that's that's know. interesting. So when you were talking earlier, you talked about how you thought you would have a look at how he played the first few turns and assess your interpretation of the opponent you were facing. And again, we've cycled back to, you know, when you are facing someone who you think is at a high level, then a level of aggression is important. Here's my thesis yeah, to the three of you, that when it comes to aggression and your perception of your opponent's level, if we think they're much worse than us, we're probably going to start to be quite aggressive. As they get nearer to us, we're probably going to be more passive and more controlled. But if we think we're up against someone who is better than us, or, or Pete, um, someone the same level as you, um, then we can uh, we can perhaps start to be more aggressive again because control isn't going to get it done. Is that fair? So we should be more aggressive at each ends of that curve of, of how strong we think our opponents are, and perhaps in the if middle is where we play the more conservative blood ball. I think on the I think it's more just a straight up line because if you were playing someone who's worse than you or significantly worse than you. You can just kind of uh, twiddle your thumbs and, oh, look. Oh, look, I've got the ball. Um, okay. Okay, um, so if they're terrible, we just we don't play any aggression at all. We just wait for them to hand us the you, game. I think you just stand up your pieces a couple times and wait. Well, I mean, te technically, I mean, you could play aggressively and you could win 5-0 and have a great time and get your SPP. Yeah. Maybe there's some assessment of, like, how you get your SPP. But, like, on a technical game-winning thing, I think you could technically, against someone who you're much stronger than, you could technically do next to nothing, or not next to nothing, but kind of just kind of stand your players in a controlled way, and and you and you uh, accumulate accumulate wins, maybe one zero wins, but you accumulate wins. Crystal, um, you seem you it, seem amused, as amused almost as someone watching an Adam Sandler film. Is it because we've sussed that the reason you're so aggressive is you think everyone's better than you at Blood Bowl? Is that what's going on here? Uh. Well, and and also you've got to assess the situation that um, when you're behind, which a lot of teams, you might think uh, going into a game that you have the better team for the matchup or you're the stronger coach. 
or something is going in your favor where you're going i kind of fancy myself for this game you know it's not locked in but wouldn't be surprised rocking away with a win um but throughout a game maybe you take a couple casualties maybe there's a key snake which maybe you shouldn't have taken but you did you did that gfi and you snaked it and now you're very behind um uh or some, something of the sort if you're losing the game you want to kind of crank up that aggressiveness even even more to whatever you originally had planned even if you had the game that you're going to play aggressive but then you start losing you've kind of got to go more all in if, if yeah, that that's 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 that's, <clears throat> that's those urge of necessity moments that um, that Nick is talking about. Like generally, you feel like, oh, I gotta I gotta do this, or else he's just gonna walk away and he's just gonna have players covering the ball next turn, and it, I don't, I'm not gonna get a chance anymore, and I lose the game. So like that's that's also there um, in that extent. But um, I don't think personally, if you if, to answer that question you were asking, like I don't personally change my playing style on who I'm facing. I look at the field and I, and and you know if I if I see something that's that would be really good for me if I make it, and not disastrous if I not make it, if I don't make it I might actually take a shot at it. Doesn't matter if you're like um, um, average CCL coach number 5500 50, 50, or something, or you know purple chest or shawnee or whatever. Um, I think like you know, best sign of respect to those coaches is to play the, in the exact same way because. Um, if I get lousy against someone, if I get lousy against someone that's worse than me, and I I I start playing differently against that person, I might actually change the result on that as well. Like I might actually lose a game on that. Um, for those that are I just listening can... to the podcast, there's a tension you can't quite hear, which is Pete's been trying to come in for about five minutes, but because he's a head teacher, I'm deliberately not letting him because I'm really enjoying that. Um, but I'm going to have to let him now. So, Pete. Thank you. That's very kind. I think I'd adapt your thesis slightly to say um, that I wouldn't adapt my place style in terms of aggression on their skill level, but often on their personality level. So one of the best things to think about during a game of Blood Bowl is if you're not sure what to do in a turn, think to yourself, what doesn't my opponent want me to do? And then do that. Or at least assess it whether it's a good option. So one of my favourite people to play is K Fogged, um, lovely guy, um, and he, he loves his models. And so I love beating them up. It gives me a great deal of pleasure because it makes him the, the poor man very very sad. So I like being aggressive against him because he doesn't like it. He'd much rather that uh, that I was a bit more passive. He can control the flow of things a bit more. So um, yeah, so I think it's less a skill thing. It's more a personality thing. Okay. And we're taking the, those decisions in the game. Yeah, in the game. Yeah. And sometimes it's, it's like I said earlier about the leaping troll slayer. It's doing something a little bit, um, not necessarily ideal, but where the payoff's huge. Because if it comes off, it can unsettle your opponent. I remember um, Jumanji, when I, I took a four-up dodge with an orc blitzer to blitz his um, catcher with the ball. Thought it was a reasonable option. I got the got the dodge and I got the pow, and he told me I'd made the wrong decision. So how can that be the wrong decision? I just sacked the ball. But uh... yeah, yeah. I mean, there are times to be over aggressive, though, aren't there? I mean, it's. I mean, I, I'm I'm one of my great weaknesses um, is an over aggressive turn one, mainly with control based teams. Whereas with agility based teams, 
I always go aggressive on turn one. How much is a race element in that then? I mean, are there teams that we should yeah. be looking at that, you know, aggression is more natural for them? I mean, Crystal, you're, you're the rat baron. You, you're the one that accepts the term rat main. Um, yeah, sort of. Are, they, are rats natural for aggressive play? And are there races that right. aren't? I think generally there are, and that's, that's definitely many races that, that aren't. Like, there are stars benefit with a, with a very controlled, fairly conservative, straightforward positional play. Um, I think that, you know, there's also a game of what happens if my opponent actually solidly gets into a cage. For example, if I manage to kick deep on that turn one you were talking about, mm -hmm. if I manage to kick deep, I would like to have a position where I can, you know, find a little gap through my opponent's front line his line of scrimmage and be able to spread out my gutters or my my line rats or whatever I have that wants to spread out forward into his area because I know he's going to have a, a tough time caging up and usually a lot of races are a lot of races from the best year teams at least are at the strongest when they've caged up and they're in a good position where they can just stably get around that cage and they can start moving forward so I, I kind of want to make it as hard as, as hard for them as possible to actually do that um, I think yeah, with... Rats are one of the best examples for this, where you've got a yeah. team with cheap players and you've got a deep bench. If you're coaching Skaven and you're starting the second half with two reserves, you've not been aggressive enough. Yeah. You could have got a lot more value out of your half because you've got players to spare. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's, 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 not only, it's not only necessarily a thing with Skaven. I think Woody's could potentially benefit from that. Like, um, well... Just, just a little cut, like we've seen it in, in your Chalice game last time with um, with you versus like the other um, Wood Elf coach that had Francie and Juggernaut, if you can remember, remember yeah. correctly. Yeah, yeah. He put you under a lot of pressure on the turn one, and then he managed to get a serve on, on your ball. Yeah, that I did play a horrific turn one uh, where I overcommitted forwards to try and both generate you know, danger and some form of takedown on him as well as stabilize. And I should have yeah. pushed back and stabilized instead. He took full advantage and, and lost me the entire game on turn one. Uh, which can happen when you are overly aggressive and face a coach that knows how to be aggressive back and take advantage yeah. of those holes. Um, I mean, that's exactly what happened in that game. It was one hundred percent my fault. Yeah, it was. So it was. A, it was. A, he played it very it was, well. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Even if despite yeah your your mistakes there, like it was a class A example of why you know that kind of aggressive positioning yeah. Uh, yeah. works early on, and you know you got to. Yeah, you got to do that kind of thing. I think, I think, like giving your opponent time to actually do exactly what he wants. In in most cases, right? Like, there's a lot of cases where you could also say, like, well, there's not a lot of opportunity. Let's play a little bit more passive. But like, doing whatever he wants is just, you know, it's not a great thing where um, where you can actually say, like, well, I'm going to defend this drive. Now, there was offense. there was something else I just wanted to throw in front of us whilst we're talking about this, just in general. I've been trying to look for a good moment. There isn't one, so I'm just going to read it in now. Um, I habitually, when we put these together, try and organise them a few weeks in advance so people have got some thinking time, they understand what we're going to be talking about, what we're going to be doing. Uh, but then I also, uh, you know, put an advert up to try and get some people here in the Twitch watching what's going on and, and trying to, you know, take part. Uh, it is a live event as well as a pod and vodcast. Uh, and that gives people an opportunity to respond to the advert. Sometimes on my blog on Fumble, I drop them in some discords, I put one out on Facebook, I, I traditionally put one out on Reddit. Uh, and we had a nice, uh, interesting response on Reddit this time from uh, manufacturer 0k1168. Uh, I'm going to leave the first two uh, paragraphs out. Feel free to go and read the rest of that if you wish to. Uh, but I think the third paragraph touched on something I thought was quite interesting and I want to bring into the discussion. 
Um, and I want to start by just really going what he said. Aggressive is basically a synonym with high risk, high reward. And not all coaches will agree on what it means exactly. Some conservative minds will refer to an elf passing game as aggressive because it's more risky than a running game. But I don't think it's purely a hyper-efficient versus fun debate. Aggressive play styles can be more efficient in various situations because they put a lot of pressure on the opponent's team, which is something we've already talked about. It's often better to play aggressively versus a robust bash team because it creates chaos and it prevents them from forcing their own rhythm upon the game. When I play Kenry, too often my opponents opt for a passive defence and I can just plan my advance, use my killers to blitz and secure some nice foulings. If they were a bit more aggressive, I'd need to roll more dice and I couldn't foul as often. Um, Nick, creative chaos, is that what we're trying to achieve through our aggression as well as sort of oh, turnovers? Yeah, for sure. We're looking, we're looking to make tough decisions and... Hopefully all bad decisions too, as Pete was saying before. <laughs> Hopefully we're making it tough and we're also all the decisions, they can't actually find one, which is good. One thing I've been thinking a lot about recently is stabilisation. Um, when you're playing as, you know, the slow bash, and it's one thing uh, Pete brought up as well, players that you play against. If I'm playing against Crystal Hunter and I'm on, I think I played a game against him and he was on Rats and I was on Dwarves. And I tried to make that game as boring as sandpaper. You know, I just wanted to, like, suck every bit of joy out of that game and just <laughs> not, let, not let this man do what he wants. Because I know the moment that I start, that I, that I don't stabilize, that I don't get into the cage and get my little forward momentum rolling, I know that's when he's going to have a little smile on his face and he's going to take my ball. Uh, but, so, I think... Uh, there's different positions to take on, on different teams when you know your opponent is, is really wanting to be uh, aggressive. So you, you, you want to be con, you know conservative sometimes, sometimes in a way on your own, your own offense. Um, but it, back to, back to the, back to the main statement there, the creative chaos is definitely something uh, you want. If you get that, that deep kick, there's this couple turns, you know, before the orc or the dwarf gets the ball into the cage, where their little carriers often vulnerable in the world, while the other guys are wasting their time punching things, and you've you've got you've got you've got that half a second to to go through and and make some chaos, make some things happen. And... You sound so evil and so predatory when you say that. I find it quite upsetting. <laughs> Well, it, uh, poor little dwarf, he didn't do anything. He just wants to run the ball over to his friends. Yeah, but he should have been with his friends a long time ago. PC, he should, he I'm really saying. should. Yeah, well, I've got four gutter He should have had kickoff return so that he was nearer he the should. ball. So he got the ball and got it to his friends quicker. Stabilising is the most important thing for control-based teams. Don't let them call you bashers. They don't get yeah. to tell us that. <laughs> yeah, but like there's... This is this is a crucial. This is like a super important part. Yeah, of the game. it absolutely is. Yeah, thinking thinking about a lot. Uh, Dionysian, who you had on last week, has been talking about it a bit as well. And I've been just on the, on his streams, and I've just been thinking about it a lot. Like what, um, like if I'm playing a, a a team which is, you know, if I'm playing against rats or I'm playing against wood elves or something, I've I've got to think, hey. They'd kind of like a situation where I've got, you know, one or two men in my backfield with the ball 
and they're running through all their team, half their team, and I'm got my I've got my little orc blitzer holding the ball, going what? <laughs> I've got a I've got a you know run, do some dodges and some GFIs, or maybe a pass or something. Um, That's better. I don't feel sorry yeah. for orcs. Uh, oh, okay, okay, but like you know, you gotta 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 think. Um, I've been thinking about the other side of yeah, not not the aggressive side. I've been thinking about hey, what what happens when people are aggressive against me? I I don't I don't like that. So that's one of the things which I love about aggressive blood bowl is that when people do it against me, I don't like it. Please stop. Exactly. Crystal, <laughs> Crystal. The at the field. Are you peace, please. Crystal Hunter, Chunter, Captain Chaos? Is that really what's going on here? Are you a, a weaver of chaos in the world? It's 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 a it's a good part. It's it is a good part of it. It's also like it's also you have to do it perfectly positioned, but yeah. It is also like the psychological aspect. And the best thing that can happen to you is your opponent gets into that mindset of, of like I have to do something. They feel that pass or they feel something. You score on them. They're in that mindset on on yeah, shit, he just scored on me and then you do it again. Then you just go into it again. Just to, you know, just because he's already in that mindset of shit, I'm losing this already. And that's the ultimate for me that's the ultimate feeling of, you know, causing fear and havoc in the opponent's uh opponent's mind um lovely what a what a nice guy um pete <laughs> this this brings me back to you and your evil malevolence um you love a bit of chaos do you you want to sow some discord and disharmony on every blood bowl pitch you pass yes definitely it's it's all about messing up the opponent's plans yeah. um i would say though that the teams that it feels easiest to be aggressive with so orcs kemri Chaos, the ones where you've got high strength players, it's very tempting to just sort of jam them all in. I've got all the strength, I jam them all in, you haven't got any blocks. Um, and that might be true, but you're also incredibly slow and you're not very manoeuvrable. So, so there's, there's, bad, there's just very poor play when you do that. I mean, you might get lucky, they might, you know, roll their, their first block or dodge or whatever fails. Fail their first dodge and leave you 10 hits. Indeed, yeah, I mean, that's the hope, that's the dream. It is. It Pretty is. Often is just a dream, and if you've yeah. not left usually two sweepers, yeah. um, or you know a little bit of staggered defence, then you could be in a lot of trouble. Absolutely. So I think aggressive aggressive play gets a bad name because it's probably easier to do it badly, and it's more obvious when it's done badly. So passive play is probably easier to get right. Now, I remember one of my great lessons in Blood Bowl was watching you with the Dark Elf team, Pete. I think it was the Ultimate Mr. Men. And you had an AV6 Witch with Agility 5. And one of your favourite moves was on turn one, was leaping her into the back edge of someone's chevron defence and instantly surfing one corner, one edge of their chevron defence, straight out of the side. Uh, and I could just imagine you going, yeah, didn't work against this particular team, did it? Um, because of their lazy play, not realising that an AG5 which can leap over there on a 2+, plus with a single guard into the little hole that the chevron gives you straight out, and, and you're instantly men, men's up. Because even with a, yeah, jug Yes, juggernaut, with Juggernaut, yeah. Which, I don't care, half dice, I'll take it. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, it's the reason why I put, like, um, when, I, when I put up a chevron defence, why I put trash on the side of the field like usually a line rat or something knowing that you know they are actually surfing could be crazy enough yeah with, for, especially with dark elves for example like if i facing dark elves i'm like yeah the witch elf that he could just four plus four plus in and do that do that 
Chris Lynn. Yes. So, or if he's going to, or if you, yes, and Pete now does do the four plus in having loved yeah, doing this so. leap on a two plus. He now goes, well, it's actually only a four plus. Even if you don't have AG five, I'm going to yeah. do that sometimes. Exactly. I've seen so people put guard blitzers on the edge of their chevrons, and I'm going in there, and he's off the pitch. Yeah. And a guard blitzer out. Definitely and I've heard people complain yeah. long and hard about, you know, PW and his lucky dice. And indeed, when I wrote the article, and that'll be linked on the Spotify and everywhere else as well, about how to be lucky. Uh, you were one of the examples I, I quoted as people saying that you're sometimes lucky. One of the things I said a lot in that article is that the perception of luck is often down to people not actually understanding the maths and the statistics underneath this. When we're talking about this level of aggression, isn't it really important that what comes alongside it is really knowing those fundamentals of the maths? Like Pete says, that dodging into the back of a chevron so that you can directly serve the one out on the edge is a four plus. If you can do that with tackle, that's a one in four fail to get there. So he's got three out of four chances to be doing the surf he wants to do and people complain he's lucky when it works. Well, most things, if you offer me it working three times out of four, I'm reasonably happy. Is some of this aggression label that, that you get, Crystal, that, that you sometimes get, Pete, or perhaps the lucky label that is not dissimilar? Uh, and Nick, I've heard it said of you as well. Is some of that you understanding the maths better? Yes. Just part... jealousy. <laughs> maybe maybe, maybe mm. parts of that is, is, is the case, but like there's another case in there, and, and I've... I, I pull this from the from the Dota scene, so like from the from a, from the MOBA scene, so to speak. They were asking like um, they were doing some research about like what people think about their teammates, and usually people would always remember their bad teammates. They would never remember their good teammates uh, when they were when they were queuing up with random players uh, together to face another team. Maybe maybe it's also a case of always remembering the bad experiences that we have when we do something mm. a bit more wild, a bit more aggressive. Rather than um, looking looking back at the crazy stuff that did manage to work, and 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 I think that's that's also a psychological aspect for a lot of coaches, like that 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 limit on actually saying like, well, this could just this could just work, or I've had it this bad in the past, I'm not gonna do that GFI to actually do this. Maybe that's that's a thing, like you know, like um, I think that's an important. So there's there's a psychological component in the in that that warfare in that. Yeah. Yeah, especially like if people want to do that, do it themselves, right? Like if if, if people want to be aggressive themselves, sometimes they 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 get stopped by the fact that they have had bad experiences. Mm. Like yeah, it's all it's about a, yeah, yeah, that that fear of getting it wrong. I do sometimes think as we learn blood bowl, we learn risk aversion. You know, at the start we roll all the dice, and sometimes it's funny when it all goes wrong. And then we learn that if we want to actually be successful or do well in a game, we we need to roll less of the dice. We need to find the risks that are worth taking and avoid the bad ones. But it leaves us trying to just minimize all risks all the time. Um, and in that article, one of my famous examples is people that would much rather base you up and hope that you fail a one in 36 than try a six plus to hit you, which is six times more likely to get them an outcome that's good. Um, but they'd much rather that the opponent try that little tiny, tiny, vanishingly small chance of them screwing up um, than see something earlier. that looks not that easy to do, but so much easier than the other option. Yeah. Earlier on in this game, um, Candlejack did do the six-up dodge to one-dice power my ball carrier. Uh, and you respected him for it rather than thinking, what a lunatic, I yeah. bet. 
No, I surfed three of his players. <laughs> yes, there's a little clip of my little clip of mine going on with uh, with uh, with a cage dive. Like Nick has seen it, like the cage dive uh, on turn eight, where my opponent was an elf team that was stalling on me, and I he set up a cage where I could six plus inches to surf his uh, surf his player, and then I surfed him and I managed to score on his drive right after it. So he he just had a, a fully won drive turned into a fully lost drive because he was stalling and leaving a six plus open. Like, yeah, that's, that's that opportunity. Um, I Smiles has dropped a question in chat I want to throw out to us too. He says um, he, he does base people with his bludgers. He tries to be aggressive that way and control the space, control the movement. Um, but people keep powering him. What can he do? Share dice. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, that's legal again in England and uh, tabletop, of course. So for those that don't know tabletop, share dice is you, you suspect your opponent's rolling um, slightly more favourable dice for good outcomes than you are. So you decide that from now on you're rolling those dice too, which is legal in every single tournament. It has to be. I guess it, it comes back early to, to is, it, is the disruption you're, you're doing actually going to have any benefit or not? Right. So there's no point giving them a two dice block on your blodger if you're not actually going to achieve something by it. So where if he pushes you back, he's putting you into base-to-base -base contact with another player that then can't move. And that's work that may be worth doing. Or you're just restricting his ability to actually move that player um, that he really needs to be moving. So don't just give him free blocks. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think my response is similar. Sometimes I've lost a dwarf to a casualty. But that, that player hitting that dwarf that turn and stopping that player moving somewhere else, which would have ruined my drive. So I've lost a whole player for it, but it's given me that opportunity to get away from that monster or to leave that black orc somewhere where he'll never catch up to play, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, sometimes that cost you... is he worth paying, even if you do pay for it with a power or even a casualty. Yeah. And even and even then, like even if your opponent is constantly rolling powers, it doesn't mean that you've made the wrong decision. Like it's yeah. you know, outcome outcome doesn't determine if your decision was good or wrong or wrong. Like if 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 we be we be in that zone, like, you know, we we yes. would lose all sense of discussion in Blood Bowl. Outcome-based analysis, not often yes. seen as a good thing. Um, okay, one more thing I wanted to talk about. We, we've touched a little bit on it in terms of just psychological impact of aggressive play. And then we are going to try and wrap up because we are, as is always the case, at least 15 minutes over my uh, allotted time, which I asked you for. But I'm enjoying myself. So if you need to disappear, please do. But if not, we will wrap up soon, I promise. The final aspect of this I wanted to talk about is, do you feel that as coaches, and I think the three of you are known within various parts of the Blood Bowl community for either being quite aggressive at times or for quite high role plays or not being certainly averse to them. I don't think any of you find that offensive as a label. Does that bring with it its own benefits? Do you, do you arrive with an evil cloak of someone looking at you going, this is, a, this is someone that's going to roll the dice against me. I better be really careful here. Yeah. Is there a psychological gain for being known as someone quite quite dicey? I, uh, look at look at that evil grin on PW's face. There's a man at home with his dark side. Yeah, it's great. If if even without having to be aggressive, if you're forcing your opponent to be more conservative than they should be, and their 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 advance is stalling, they're not moving quickly. Um, they're protecting their ball carrier with more players than they need. They're not. It's great. You've won already, haven't you? I, I really want to share something very quick. The way you say that so, without guilt, it's despicable. Despicable. Nick. So I, I, I have to get this off my chest a little bit. 
So, uh, Geryon, who's one of the CCO admins, I played him, uh, uh, his pro elves versus my wood elves in, in a playoff game. Uh, and I opened, I got pretty quick, like, pretty quickly, I went for a red dice sack with my strip ball piece, because uh, I thought, that seems like a good idea. And it worked, and I stole the ball, and I won the game. Uh, kind of, kind of off that play immediately. And ever since that, ever since that day, every time I have played against him, whether it's a league game or just a random spin, which we hit each other, I click on my player with the most sacking potential and click on his ball carrier. And not, 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 not actually queuing up the entire act, action, but on Blood Bowl two, it shows me clicking on my ball, my sacker. And hit on his on his carrier every time, and I'm hoping I don't know, but maybe I'm in his head that he he thinks that I'm thinking <laughs> that I want to sack him every turn. That's what I'm thinking to myself, and maybe I have gotten his head. Maybe I haven't. I'm not sure. But every every single game, every you know second or third turn, I click on my sacker. I click on his ball carrier. No matter if it's like in a very tightly defended cage. And I think it's made him play more passively against me. I'm not sure, but I, I, think... I guess I get that evil reputation of my chest. I don't know. Crystal, I, is I there a he's in your head, Nick. Crystal, is there a bonus payout just for being Crystal Hunter? In in mm. a in a way in a way, yeah. I I, I do feel there there is um, there is a sense into that, like from very different levels as well from the other coaches. I mean, if someone I, turns to their friend at home and goes, "Yeah, I've just spun a, a CCL game. I've run into someone called Crystal Hunter." What's the other guy going to say? They're going to say, well, careful, he's coming for your ball, mate. From turn one, he's coming for it. Make sure you're careful. Isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've, I've even had, you know, I've even had people concede on me before they even started <laughs> the, uh, the game. I don't know. I don't know if it, it's part to my aggression, but like um, the, the best the best moment I can remember now, just recently, like I was playing a Challenges Cup Cup in Rebel. Rebel is a perpetual league. I was playing with my ogres. I play ogres there. <laughs> I was playing with my ogres versus 2400 Necro. And... You know, I, I played a very aggressive game, 1400 Ogres. Very aggressive game and managed to miraculously beat them with like a, a Dutch break tackle juggernaut Ogre. You know, with Dutch and break tackle, that combination, you can do crazy stuff with uh, case dive and all that, that kind of sort of thing. And the first thing the next opponent said in the chat, in the Discord chat was under under my under under my result base was, I'm scared. <laughs> because he knew. <laughs> He was. He knew what he was going. What he was going into when he when he saw me play against him. So like, uh, yeah, it it does have. It does have a sense. Like opponents do have a sense of fear of like, okay, he might do anything. I got to be really careful here, and I I can't really I can't really do anything silly here, else he's just gonna eat me up. And uh, yeah, it's it's kind of cool. Um, another thing I wanted to just touch. Uh, uh, sorry, let me bring other people in. So Pete. You, you sit down with the, the Pete W aura, do you, you believe? Oh, I, I hope not, but some people do make a comment. It's often people who've maybe seen me play. It doesn't happen so much anymore because I'm a bit past it now. But certainly back in 2009, 2010, I'd turn up at the Blood Bowl and people would go, Ugh. Yes, I, it, it does remind me of my favourite story um, from the tabletop world, which is a Jimmy Fantastic turning up at the NAFC sitting down next to his opponent and as the opponent sat down jimmy said uh no you've probably heard of me i'm uh, i'm jimmy fantastic i've won a I've won a major on fumble the other bloke down, uh, sat down and went oh yes um i'm purple goo <laughs> apparently you could just see the blood drain from jimmy's face 
beaten before his ass hit the chair. Um, it is interesting how sometimes these auras can travel with people. Um, aggressive blood bowl. I, I'm, I'm almost not sure that should be a title I should have given this because what we're talking about, aren't we, is being able to exploit those moments where aggression's going to pay off um, within a base of some control still? Or are we genuinely saying go for it from turn one and see what the hell happens? No, like recklessness, there's, there's, a, there's, there's something between like calculated aggression and recklessness. And, and I feel like whatever I do, I, I always consider like the, the negative part and I always try to question it. Like I always try to question like a negative outcome. Um, so that I have, that I at least have some sort of thing to fall back on if it fails, and that's that's the core thing. Like you always have to have something to fall back on if your aggressive play fails. Um, yeah. I hope everyone understands that. Because... I think for me, it's the it's that turn five of the second half in that game we were looking at. It's what do you do in those moments? Is it that's the time to be? Is it aggressive or to be passive? Mm. It, those are the interesting ones. One of the things I'm always minded of here is that the expected outcome of every drive is that the person with the ball scores and that we end the game 1-1 at the end of, you know, far too long. So there's a time for aggression to change that outcome, to say, well, if I'm already on a bit of a hiding to nothing here, then actually if I can change up my game, if I can create more high roll situations, that's a better chance of changing what is now the expected outcome. Uh, and that's not an outcome I'm happy with. So, you know, altering that, creating some chaos making them roll more dice, making them take more decisions seems to be a way forward from the position I'm in. I see too many people gambling on a, a you know, sticking on a losing hand and, and just accepting that, well, this might get better if I do nothing. Not very likely to get better if you do nothing, is it? That, that rarely seems to happen in the world as far as I can see. Um, okay, look, I, I think I've asked for enough of your time, guys. Um, I hope that's been fun to chat. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed being here. I hope the chat feel they've got some value out of listening to us for Warbalon. Uh, I'm not sure there is going to be an answer. Some people are still going to say that Purple Goo's right and that we should all be robotic and emotionless and just move our pieces in the most controlled way possible so that our opponent looks at the board and just feels suicidally depressed at their odds of ever making progress. Um, I've played Purple Goo. That's 100% what it feels like. But there is a room in this world for the Spartacos and the PWs and the Crystal Hunters. Um, I don't think they're mad bastards. I think they're just looking for a way that is aggressive yes but creative to cause you problems take your ball away um, and they're doing it in a way that sometimes looks mad because we consistently look to minimize risk but some of the risks they're taking aren't quite as crazy as you probably think they are uh, and there may be something there that they're doing that you're just not aware of and that perhaps finding those moments for aggression whilst obviously not being the madster the crystal is uh, is probably the way forwards um, look, that's One World, One Blood Bowl for tonight. If you couldn't tell, that was my long and uh, uneventful ending. Let me see if I can find somewhere to raid you lovely people onto. Uh, I'm certainly not going to pretend I'm going to stream instantly after this, but I may be back a little later, depending how I am feeling. Uh, I've had fun. I hope you've had fun too. The lovely Mr. Page is feeling healthy again. Uh, let me see if there's any final words from our assembled gang. Nick, you've been beautifully quiet all evening in that chill, mellow, but hyper-competitive Australian way that you have. Your final thoughts on competitive Blood Bowl, please. Uh, one thing that I like to watch out for, if I'm joining a new league or a new space, I, and I'm like looking to do well, I look out, you know, look around, who are they calling lucky? Who, who's the coach that they're calling lucky? He's probably, 
He's probably not lucky. He's probably the best guy there. He's probably just got a better assessment of, of the odds and stuff. So look out for those people everyone's calling lucky. Look at those four pluses with a reroll. Have a good time with it, you know. Where's that six plus that wins me the game? Uh, Crystal, I've lost possibly forever. Um, I think I was just too damning about his aggressive blood bowl and he's rethinking his whole existence. So Pete, let's come to you. Any final thoughts before we say goodnight? I think we've said it all, um, Purple Chest. I'm looking forward to seeing you in person in York and just wondering, where can I get one of those beautiful t-shirts? <laughs> this isn't merch. This is a one-off I had made just for me so that I can take it to York and to Nottingham uh, and show off the brand just a tiny bit. Um, because, you know, I'm all about the brand. Obviously, this is a, a major opportunity for me to waste huge amounts of my time and energy uh, and earn zero. But it's fun to do, and I'm not stopping because I'm enjoying doing them. And some people seem to enjoy listening, so that's great news for me. Crystal, final thoughts. You're the reason we all came here, to validate you. I have heard people talk about your chalice win as based solely on a natty and luck. And I know you found that offensive. Well, um, this is your right to respond. I felt there was a lot of good, aggressive play underpinned with a natty. Yeah, yeah, and and usually, usually from a usually the natty one turn has happened from a winning position, and I think the people that have been talking about that have been thickening the the, the whole uh, stat a bit about like he won because he had a natty one turn. Like you know, I was like in a one zero position, and then they equalized. But it doesn't that doesn't matter. I kind of wanted to use the final word to say like, you know, there's a lot of people playing in a lot of different ways. And for me, it's important to tell the audience here, like, do not take anything like people say just for granted. Make sure to think for yourself, dare to explore, and sometimes dare to make mistakes. Because as soon as you dare to make mistakes, you actually learn something from it. And um, I think that's something that, that people are too afraid to do in the community. Like, they ask a lot of questions about how do I exactly build this? How do I do this? Dare to think for yourself and dare to make mistakes sometimes. It's yeah. super important. I mean, I, I, well, I always answer those questions with, well, tell me about everything else to do with your team, your playstyle, your history, and how much you know about that race and who you plan to face with them. Um, people yeah. are perpetually trying to build this perfect dream team in their heads that'll be perfect in 18 games time when they've got all of these things that they plan to make happen. Um, what matters to me is what you do in the next game with what's in front of you. And that's a whole different level of thought, but much that requires more responsibility from yourself. Um, rather than, oh, well, this game, this team would have been great in 10 games. Of course, it's losing now. Well, no, make it great next game and the game after and the game after that. And do that by allying all of those principles we talked about in how to get good last episode with some of the stuff we talked about tonight about how to perhaps take advantage and find those moments to move forwards. Find the little crystal hunter, the, the evil PW inside you all. Uh, and maybe, maybe that will also kick your blood bowl on a tiny bit. Uh, thank you very, very much. I have to let these lovely people go. They have families and lives. And for Nick, of course, he is not only hanging upside down, but it's some ridiculous hour of the morning for him. Um, so that was One World, One Blood Bowl, episode number 11. Uh, you're off to see the lovely Mr. Page. Give him a big, big huggle from me. He's not been very well. It's lovely to see him back playing Blood Bowl. Thank you and good night. Good night. Good night.